kids official sliding on the instrumental Nordic combos twisted mental like forbidden peace to the public and power to the people I'm trying to let go of my perfectionism uh, and just be present uh, so with that in mind I, I very much appreciate being present with y'all in this space where the vulnerable are powerful and where we believe the most gangster thing you can do is serve. This is the All The Way Live podcast. Indeed, this is the All The Way Live podcast. And every week, my brother, Miles Xavier, and I, and shout out to our producer, Hassan on the ones and twos, rocking with us. We dedicate ourselves to coming here and creating curated conversation for your cranium, constructive information, you know, uh, we risk our algorithms as we did again this week. <laughs> True. We <risk. laughs> it's every week this show just continues to get us to a place where I don't even know what YouTube is going to recommend to me next. <laughs> Probably Coco Melon. Probably is definitely starting to recommend Coco Melon. And that's because on today's show, man, we got a whole host of dope things that we're going to be talking about. And we do it for one reason, uh, mainly above everything else, is to be a space of positivity, of curated information where impact meets art. We know that people are going through it, man. We know that people are going through depression at a higher rate than ever before, that loneliness is higher than ever before that people are dealing with the whole host bro gas is out the roof things are expansive you know what i mean so uh if we can just be a good place a pool of positive energy and of information we do that and we come to y'all doing that every week and we come to y'all from exeter which is most definitely in the building by way of johannesburg appreciate you bro appreciate you hassan uh and on this side you already know what's going on. Chicago is in the building. This podcast is recorded on stolen land. This land was cared for by the Potawatomi people. Uh, and this is the land that I belong to. I'm a humble and 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 honored to, to be a Chicagoan. I love this city. I love this space. Uh, and so that's why we make space to appreciate the history of this city. Um, and as we look around at what's going on here, the violence that we see in this city is inseparable from the violence that was done to the Potawatomi, to the First Nations people to remove them from this land, right? So with that in mind, we lift up love for indigenous people the world over. We lift up love between black and brown people the world over. We lift up love for you, wherever you at, your history, your culture, share with us. Um, and like that, the intro's over. Let's get into the show. Yeah, 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 I get that, I get that, but is we live though? Is we like all the way live though? You heard? Yo, we always say that this place is where impact meets art. You know, we love celebrating both of those things. My brother Miles and I are activists, community organizers, workers of the people, uh, servants of the people. And uh, what we are doing this week is no different because we always want to be sure that we highlight the people that are doing that work. Brother Miles, I know that Juneteenth was this week. You know, um, you are extremely active, not just around this time of the year, but just throughout all the year. What was Miles the activist getting up to over this Juneteenth week, bro? I had the honor of being a part of um, this incredible call to action 
by the essentially the black um, population of the University of Chicago Medicine, both faculty, staff, and students uh, coming together to call the university to accountability for its history of essentially being an anchor institution that doesn't do enough for the South Side and that has actively perpetuated harm on the South Side through its practices and housing, um, and even all the way back to its roots in the way that the university was started um, and the way that Black folks were both kept out uh, of the space and kept out of the history of what became the University of Chicago, one of the most prestigious institutions in the country. Um, and so... I'm a part of a group called Praxis, Practicing Radical Action to Expand Inclusive Societies. And uh, we got to join, yeah, the UChicago Medical Staff in taking um, Juneteenth, this time where we acknowledge the, the moment when the last of the enslaved people um, in the United States were made aware that they were then free, right? And taking that as, a, as an opportunity to acknowledge that history and acknowledge the lack of of repair, the lack of healing, right? Intentionally, that has that has not occurred, right? So that's a it's a time to talk about reparations, what that means in a serious way, and we got to make statements about that. Um, I got to stand among a host of really dope individuals, uh, calling attention to that on the university campus. So that was fire. Um, I got into some other stuff too, but. Yeah, man, I'm just I'm just really appreciative of the of the positions that uh, I get to be in from the work that I'm doing and the people that um, are really trying to make change happen and, and call attention to the important things about what's going on in our in our society. So the the organization you said is pra Praxis? Praxis, P-R-A-X-I-S, Practicing Radical Action to Expand Inclusive Societies. We meet on Fridays uh, in the Zoom. So no matter where you're at, if you've got the time, uh, maybe we can, yeah, throw the link to, to invite folks to join that because it's actually some really fire conversations going on um, about accountability. Our main goal right now is to um, increase the cultural competency at the University Medical Center to because the vast majority of the people they treat coming in there, especially for traumatic and penetrating injuries, are black folks. So what does it mean to educate the folks, uh, the faculty and staff that work at the medical center to understand the population that they're supposed to be serving? Right. So we're expanding knowledge on that. Um, join us. It's fly. That's interesting. And it's uh, quite a shout out to our producer beaming it right on up. We got uh, the practice workshop, uh, the practice Praxis team, you know, there is something to be said about how different medical institutions are in Chicago, where they're placed, um, the fact that there aren't many, if any, trauma units at all in the South Side and in the areas where a lot of the shootings are happening. So for you guys to be uh, active about seeking some form of reparations of that type of exclusivity or where else the University of Chicago has done it is is pretty interesting, and it actually speaks to something that uh, I was reading from Eckhart Tolle, who was speaking about how a entire society can go through a traumatic uh, traumatic moment, and that gets held on and carried on and passed on and passed on down. So you know, even something as uh, you know, even for however long this uh, Chicago has had a trauma unit, 
uh, Chicago, uh, Southside Chicago has not had trauma units. You know, there's been a lot of pain inflicted in the people on the South side of Chicago and that society carry, carries that that pain on. So for you guys to be active in that way, I think is quite cool. Yeah. And you can tell my brother's a little bit tapped into Chicago, the way he's speaking on history, man. 30 years is how long the South side went without a trauma unit, right? The university of Chicago actually had one closed it in 1988, right? Because it wasn't cost effective. And for that reason, people that were being injured on Chicago in Chicago due to a failure of uh, investment in communities, due to a failure of all of our institutions to keep people in these communities from harm, uh, they had to be, anybody that was injured had to be taken to Oak Lawn, right? 20 minutes away, Northwestern, right? All the way up in Evanston, even outside the city of Chicago. So imagine you just got shot or you just got in a car accident and that, and, and you have to be transported that far, right? It didn't change until a young man, Damian Turner, who's 17 years old, um, he was shot basically three blocks from where the University of Chicago Medical Center is. And because they didn't have a trauma unit at that time, this was in that 30-year period, right? Uh, he had to be transported all the way to Northwestern. And due to that, because he didn't receive the care he needed, he passed away. So Southside Together Organizing for Power, it's called STOP they came together to call for a trauma center to be instituted, right? That happened in Damian Turner was killed in 2012. The trauma center was announced three years later in 2015 after the Southside Together really pulled together this, this movement around that. Um, so I, I just bring all that up to say like community power, community organizing really can make change. And my brother brought up an incredible example of that just now with the organizing that had to take place to even get a medical center to the university. So we touched on that. We touched on um, other forms of kind of reparations and repair, like the Chicago Torture Justice Museum. Um, Officer Commander John Burge tortured over 120 black folks on the south side of Chicago and the Chicago Torture Justice Project um, basically uncovered that and was able to show that. So them stop. We're leaning on these um, examples and models of incredible activism to to continue to make change. So again, man, join join us on Praxis if you wanna if you wanna get with these conversations, bro. Uh, and keep listening to All the Way Live too, man. We're giving you history, activism, what you want, what you need, what you want, what you need. What people want from us is to give them that carefully curated content, man. They come here for it. Um, we have a whole host of things to be able to talk about it turns out that um coco melon might be hypnotizing kids the world is in a disarray you know things are happening bro it's hard to make sense of everything but luckily for me and luckily for the people at the all the way live family we get to come here and engage in conversation to unpack what the hell is going on big facts don't touch that dial here we go Bless you, my brother. Bless you again. I will not sneeze all day until I get on this show and then immediately start sneezing on this show. Yeah, it's a problem. We're looking for a replacement. But, you know, don't worry about that right now. Let's get into this segment. Uh, I actually want to get a little bit personal, if that's cool, with this one. Like, we, working in the spaces that we work in, right, trying to work to serve community, um, 
and support youth, especially, right? I know through the Mandulo Foundation, it's been fun days. It's been lots of opportunities to be around the young people. And that's great. And that's cool if you got a juice box for them and a hamburger and a hot dog. But low key, it'd be hard to look after these little kids, man. Yo, it is. And you're running around, dude. That's a whole workout. They they want your thumbs out, bums out, quack like a duck. You got to, you know, you then you better quack like a duck. That's what you're there for. You know, you better get as low <laughs> as you can. When the circle, when a circle opens up and there's dancing happening, you better be in the middle of that circle with those kids. man. And that's a lot of the joy that comes from um, working with these kids is that you you get to really be so youthful and enjoy in, in that playful nature with them because that's all they want, these kids. But that being said, they are a handful. They are a handful. Miles yeah. and I are uncles for a reason right now. Big facts. And being an uncle is a beautiful thing, man. I just got to spend uh, actually my dad's birthday over at my older brother's house uh, chilling with my nieces. And my youngest niece is like just a whole ball of energy you're right like you better you better be ready for marathons of hide and seek you better be ready for marathons of let me tell you about my slime and my arts and crafts creations right like it's 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 a lot to deal with it's a lot to handle uh shout out to my brother for i mean <laughs> he has three girls so yeah wow. Hold, happy father's day bro Big facts. <laughs> all right. <laughs> and happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. But as we as we close in on our topic for today, right? Like these kids are a lot to handle. Sometimes you might wanna put them in front of a screen, give them something to just sit and chill and do. So you ain't gotta watch them. Let them watch some. But you better be careful what you're letting them watch, man. It's looking like some stuff is a little bit uh druggish. If I could be completely honest, some of these shows is look is, is 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 stimulating these kids in a way it appears at least that's a little bit that's a little bit druggish. So Zoe, what did you find as we dove into uh, Coco Melon? So given some given the given the people a full story of exactly what the topic is, is that recently a uh, child development. Um, a child development uh, worker, said Jessica Sanson, had said that upon observing her child's engagement with um, Coco Melon, she was seeing what is reflective of addictive-like characteristics from the kids, where the kids who engage in Coco Melon are being blasted with quick transitions, bright colors, and when you remove that from the kids, they begin to melt down which is reflective of a withdrawal of sorts. So essentially saying Coco Melon is cocaina to these kids. Oh my God. <laughs> wow. I love it. Yeah. Close. That's it. Put a button on it. <laughs> Can I tell you, I've been walking around all day trying to figure out the best Coco Melon cocaine flip. Well, you found it. There it was. There it was. Yeah. Hopefully, you know... Jeezy or Freddie Gibbs or, or Griselda, somebody's gonna take that little clip and uh, put that at the front of a track. It's gonna be hot. But it's, it's 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 interesting because like so, I started looking this up. Basically, I found out that Coco Melon or what they what they say what's being alleged is that Coco Coco Melon is hyper stimulating that it acts as a drug. Um, 
because of the way that those flashing lights and the way that oh my god that's trippy yo shout out to the youtube <laughs> audience that is, that's that's seeing what i'm seeing uh and shout like out to hassan I'm being honest. Yeah, for pulling it up but yeah these types of images these bright colors they trigger a dopamine response in a certain way um that becomes addictive right and so uh, it even leads to like, that's what they're saying is that these kids are having symptoms of withdrawal, right? Uh, because of their, their dopamine is deregulated. Um, they are prone to throw tantrums, right? Extended, extensive tantrums um, when they have to stop watching the show or to get their parents to put the show on. Uh, and it's, it's an unhealthy relationship, it seems. And so I guess in looking at this whole topic, my thought was like, all right, how 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 cocaine like can a show possibly be? I didn't watch it. I was scared. I'll admit that. But <laughs> is this a real thing? And what are the like? Right, let's just get into a conversation about like how wrong is it? Screen time. Like, what are your intentions? I know we're not parents, but like, what do you think about screen time? The way that we sit kids in front of stuff having trying to distract them like the access that they have to screens the way that they can use this technology from the time that they are very very tiny people like i think there's yeah. a lot here that's the scary part is just how how young kids are able to navigate youtube and a phone you know like um, a child can navigate a phone before they can talk and uh you know children can engage with siri you know, before they can form full-blown sentences or Alexa, you know? So it, it is, and I would, it would be dumb for us to be able to say like, yo, that's that's not the intention of the phone companies. You know, they're not really trying to make it easy for little kids to be able to uh, easily access, you know, YouTube and paid and unregulated content at a young age. But you'd be wrong because it's exactly what they're doing. <laughs> Yeah, that's exactly what they do. And then how you know that is because Coco Melon is the second largest YouTube page, bro. It's the second largest YouTube page on YouTube. It is crazy. It's the second most viewed. But that being said, man, honestly, me and you don't have kids. And there's no way that we could understand exactly how tiring, how tiring it is to raise kids, especially because kids, kids upbringing is usually handled by a mother. And if us two the father, the childless, <laughs> childless dudes are going to sit here and tell mothers the best way to raise their kids, we'd be remiss. But there are some, it is, it is something to think about, I would say. Yeah, well said. Well said. I think the intention of addressing this as two childless dudes uh, is one, I think, to acknowledge, like, just on a human level, like, I don't know about you, I want kids, for sure. Um, and I'm, as a grown ass man i'm getting to the point where that's a real possibility and and i'm i don't know if mentally preparing myself for fatherhood is the right way to put it but like i am thinking about these things in a different way um i do see my role shifting like in a in a caregiver type way even as an uncle right and like i mentioned a lot of the playing around and stuff we do but also like looking out you know for your for your your peoples in a way that their parents can't um, as an uncle. So I guess part of me is like, yes, for sure. We're not parents yet. But like, as we look at what it means to, to try and take on that role with intention as men, right. And maybe share some of that burden so that 
my my girl isn't so exhausted that she just puts the kids in front of the TV, right? I, I look at this and say, this is an opportunity. It's a teachable moment to go, to be reminded, just like don't put your kids in front of just anything. And if you can, and if you can, uh, especially the male partner, take on some of the responsibility. Take them outside. You know what I'm saying? That's my that's, that's, that's what I got from this. Yeah, maybe. that's great advice. But like the the scary thing is when you realize that there is YouTube for kids. But even on YouTube for kids, the the manner in which they filter in, the manner in which they filter things on there still doesn't shelter kids away from being able to stumble onto things that are quite weird you know and uh it sometimes we do research on the show that just leads us down weird alleys and definitely searching up coco melon conspiracies <laughs> leads you down some super super weird yeah alleys. for sure yeah r.i.p my algorithms on that one but that being said uh i like what you said about you know it is an opportunity for people to be able to step in and do something. The science behind it says that there actually is no true correlation behind it. And we get to this point again where there is what science and and research is telling us. And then there is real life what we're seeing. Because you can't miss the fact that how addicted we are with our mature brains to things like TikTok and how that schematic um, quick dopamine or video rush and uh click pull uh what is it it's click press pull you know that three uh that 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 three point loop that we're stuck in um you it does kind of seem like these kids are being preconditioned to be able to um to be able to take information in that way and we know that way of taking information is bad for us word yeah so as like I think of my my nieces and I go, man, like they really can pull up whatever they want on YouTube. That's terrifying to me, right? Like that they know how to use the phone in that way. If the Bluetooth speaker ain't connected, they the ones that connect it. We trying to watch a movie on the TV. They like, oh no, you can go ahead and cast it from the Google Home. All I gotta tell is Alexa to put the movie on. Like the fact that they know how to operate this stuff means that when we're not watching and when it's not for our convenience as old heads that don't know how to work this stuff, what are they getting into? And as I think about having kids, I'm like, man, how do you even, how do you curb that? How do you curb access to information? What does it mean to like sit and talk with your kids and be like, okay, you have a phone, you have a computer. There's, I can't protect you from all that's out there. You know what I mean? And I can't explain all that you're going to encounter. Um, and we're step, we're entering this space and we'll get into this, I think, even in our next segment where companies and corporations are being held accountable for the the ways that um, people are impacted by their practices. And when you look at a YouTube and how easy they've, I mean, and we, yeah, it's even YouTube is the, is a subsidiary of what Google for sure. And we're going to get all the way into Google in a bit, but like when you, when you look at the choices that they're making to make these things accessible, to put practices in place that keep people on websites for longer, like you said, what is the magnified effect that this has on a young developing brain? Um, when you look around at, at the world that we're transitioning into, uh, what do you, how do you like project, put yourself five years in the future, right? Like how, how would you have a discussion about giving a kid a phone access to the internet? What do you, how do you approach that? Quite frankly, bro, I, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even know. I wouldn't even know. But what I, do know, and this is just off of, and you know, this is a great topic 
because it's Father's Day, right? So, but what I do know about kids is that um, kids are more likely to repeat and replicate what a parent is doing. So kids are kids are mirrors, you know. They they just go up repeating what they're seeing around them. So if I'm thinking I want my child to live a life that is not just being attached to the phone, I would try to prepare myself by trying to live a life of me not being attached to a phone and like enjoying the outdoors and prioritizing blocking things away and um, monitored screen time and live that life truly so that my child, it rubs off on them in that way. Because there's a lot of good and bad things that have rubbed off on us from our, from our parents, especially our dads. Love you, dad. Happy Father's Day, man. My no, guy. <laughs> but still. <laughs> yeah, no. My bad. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go on, bro. That's it. That's it. You said a lot right there. You said a lot right there. Kids mirror what they see, right? And it's only natural, man. You're making a lot of things click for me. It's only natural, right? If if in this culture of more people working from home, of this like attachment to like laptops and devices, if the kid sees mom or dad, right, typing away all the time on their laptop, they wanna be in front of a screen too. That's just what they're gonna wanna do. Right. So I love what you said about leading by example. And and that touches the the corporate side of it, too. Right. If we're making choices that actually we want to be outside more, we want you to facilitate maybe not sedating our kids through uh, all types of screen time, but give us ways to use technology to interact outside and to and to spend time that's in a more healthy way. If we start making those choices um, and it's all about choices on our own, then maybe the technology we see and what these companies are offer. Uh, will change, right? So that was deep. You you didn't know it. You gave me a lot hey, right man. there. Wait, what you're referring to now, my brother, is um, voting with our wallets, you know? It's um, activism with our pockets, and that's what it is, is you just need to find the companies that do that, <laughs> that do do that, and then you, you pay them, you know? And that's how that goes, is that there are many companies that are um, focusing and emphasizing healthy... Uh, healthy screen and child engagement and interactions they do exist so there are those options you know there are those options um that being said man being a mother is a very difficult job um so a, a lot of the times and what you see when you're doing these research is at the bottom line everyone says but we're not telling nobody's mom what to do you are the expert on your baby okay we are not saying anything and i think that's the that's important to emphasize again on this no doubt, no doubt. But I want to jump right back to what you were saying real quick about um supporting the companies that like are creating those opportunities to to do stuff in a different way rather than just sitting in on screen time. Um and it's like technology comes in all types of shapes and forms and sizes. Back to my nieces, when we was chilling for my pop's birthday, we all went in the backyard and I found out, I learned this something. They got this device now where you can fill up about 50 water balloons at one time and it ties them all. And so you good to go in like two minutes. You got like 50 water balloons, bro. And like, you said that it ties them all. So it's like a, it's like you put it on the, it's like a space. It looks like a, like an octopus kind of, it's like, it goes right on the spout and it's like a whole bunch of basically straws that lead to like 50 different water balloons. So you put a bucket of water so they don't all fall off and pop. And literally you put this joint on the spout, you turn the whole, you turn the spout on and it fills all the water balloons at one time. And when they get 
to the perfect full capacity, they drop off the straw tied into the bucket. Kids these days have it easy. And this is, it, I, it was going to, you know, it was only a matter of time to this turn into an old head podcast. And never here we are. These kids have it easy. <laughs> they do. They do. But that's, I mean, I just, it came to me like when you were saying like, yo, let's support the companies. Like really, like there's a lot of cool stuff to do outside. They've made a lot of this yeah. stuff easy. Right. So it's summertime, at least on this side. Right take this as an opportunity to go explore all the ways that you can yeah do some do something a little different get away from that screen um and get in a water balloon fight yo yeah also the screen time thing is not too the screen time thing is not just limited to kids man you know when you really look at the numbers of how long each of us are spending on our phones it like really exposes our the fact that we're addicted to it you know, we're addicted to it. They were saying that um, adults average about 10.5 hours a day on screen time in the U.S. 10.5 hours. Teens average about nine hours a day on screen time. You know, that's that's almost half your day. That's your entire walking day is, is, is you know, latched onto a screen if you say that you get a few hours of sleep in that day. So, man, um I, I don't what's your relationship with screen time because I really try and limit mine and delete a lot of things on my phone that would keep me just on it too much like I'm I'm trying to get my screen time out of four hours I ain't even capping it's it's been really bad with zoom meetings like the last couple of years right like so there are days when I wake up and I have my get myself together time from like whatever it is six to like eight. And then after that, it's I'm on the laptop. My calendar's open all day. My email's open all day. I'm in and out of Zoom meetings. The work that I'm doing involves work. Um, what's it called? Uh, Google Docs. So I'm typing on Google Docs all day. I'm typing on Excel sheets. You know what I mean? Like I'm in it until until work is over. The positive thing is that with both summer and us hopefully closing at least this this intense chapter on COVID, we've been able to do more stuff in person. Um, so a lot of the stuff that I was do, running around doing this week uh, in commemoration of Juneteenth uh, was was very much like face-to-face in-person stuff, but it, it's not good. My relationship with screens is, is definitely not good. And I'll, and I'll be completely honest, like a lot of it is work that I got to do. So I'm really, it's, it's tough to, to create that distance. Um, and you got to be intentional about it. So I, I appreciate you, you know, throwing that out there. Yeah, man. You got to look at the ugly numbers, you know, actually like look into your phone about like how many times you're picking it up. You, you can't, there's no way to be able to start making a change on it if you haven't like really understood what it is. You know, you could find that maybe your screen time or our screen time is is quite high. And then, you know, just start doing small things backwards. I try and delete. Um, I recently, I, del- I took YouTube off my phone. I took YouTube off my phone. I take Instagram off my phone throughout the week. And if I have to post something, I'll post it and I'll delete it and I'll dip. And that's like how I'm trying to engage, especially with the phone. And reducing that screen time because like one does feel like an addict sometimes on it. Yeah, it's easy because you're always checking it. Have you gotten a phantom phone vibrate? Your phone ain't even in your pocket, but you felt that mug chime. Like, bro, that is a scary feeling, bro. 
that's 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 coco melon cocaine over there bro. Talking, <laughs> talking about that 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 puro that puro cocaina real talk man real talk and and it's difficult and it's difficult so with with all of that in mind like i'm gonna try and take that on and be like yo let me distance myself from the from the phone you you have this practice that has always stuck with me that you say when you first wake up you you get you get your meditation on you get yourself together before you even touch or look at the phone and let that character or color your day um and maybe that's maybe that's a practice that i'll take on really because yeah just reserving some of that time for intentional not screen time is a first step i'm gonna try to take yeah and i think it's important to even say man even with that practice right I'm not infallible. I, I miss days sometimes. Sometimes, you know, you sometimes it's uh, one is not always consistent with it because I feel like things like that, people will like try and then fail once and then just be like, ah, shit, I tried and it's not for me. But in fact, like it's really more so about trying again the next day and then trying again the next day. And it only takes about two, it only takes two weeks to form a habit, you know? So after you've gone over the two week habit forming now it's part of your it's part of your day this is that first two week jump and then it becomes lifestyle yeah well i'm trying to elevate my lifestyle man and i appreciate you for for spitting a little game on the podcast for all of us that get to soak it up appreciate y'all out there for listening uh and appreciate y'all for sticking with us as we transition to current news <laughs> Miles, Xavier, we added again tech companies, discrimination, sexism. <laughs> it seems now that our entire show is dedicated to tech companies, discrimination, and racism. Part 29. Big facts. These tech companies got to get their stuff together. And I'm dying because you introduced, I would have introduced the segment the exact same way. Here we are again, right? Another tech company, another payout. $118 million, uh, this time to the ladies, right? I must saw a ladies drop. Remember we had a ladies drop for the podcast? We had a ladies drop. Yeah, we abused that. We, <laughs> we broke the button. We broke the button. Yeah, every time we say that played about six times an episode. Oh, man. Shout out to growth. But over 15,000 ladies are represented in this class action lawsuit that Google just decided to settle for $118 million. That breaks down to about eight grand a person. Put the legal fees on it. I don't want to count nobody's pockets. It's not a lot. It's probably not enough. But hopefully this is a a, a win that, that symbolizes a change, right? So, Zoe, when you looked into this story, man, what did you what did you take from it? I took from it the fact that, you know, we're... For one, last time we had a conversation about pay gap, I did bring up um, the nuances of calculating pay gap, you know, and saying that, you know, you, you saying that it could be, it's part, it's a, it's a, it's a fraction of a whole, uh, of a whole pie of things that determine pay gap and things like that. And even though, you know, research right now is saying that it's no, it, I, I want to 
Sometimes you just got to listen and believe women, man. That's it. Sometimes you just got to listen and believe women because this is another instance of this. Google's not the only company that has done this. LinkedIn last month also had to do the exact same thing where they were paying $4.4 million to 2,352 uh, 2, staff members in California. So um, it's not something that is... It's 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 not something that a lot of times I think we overcomplicate the nature of things, and sometimes they're as blatant as this. I really appreciate how you were so thoughtful and and acknowledging our past conversations on on this topic and where we're at, um, and I yeah trying to navigate that distinction between what data is telling us about the entire job market overall and this specific instance at, at Google. Uh, and it's really interesting to look at this. And to, to me, when I looked at the, the lawsuit, right, they're essentially alleging two things. They're alleging that Google pays women less than men in the same job. And they're alleging that these tracks that Google puts its employees on, essentially their trajectory per, for professional progress, um, that it discriminates in putting women on lower tracks with, uh, basically a comparable about amount of experience. Uh, and those things, I believe, are measurable, right? And I think the most comfortable position I can sit in in this conversation is if they, if they and they will, part of the settlement is that uh, third parties now are going to come in and examine, right, kind of the extent to which their practices are um, discriminatory, and if they find that either of those things are true, that Google pays women less in the same job or that Google puts women like systematically on a lower trajectory for career growth, then they better pay up They be and they better run it back. I, like, I, I hope that this 118 isn't the isn't the end of this, because it's really that cut and dry for me. Right. Like there, if there's a way to measure this type of discrimination, go ahead and measure it and make them pay up if they're doing it. That's and it. That puts all companies on notice. You can use whatever. I hope they make public whatever metrics they use, this third party uses to evaluate Google, and that other companies take the initiative to say, let's check ourselves using whatever metrics are available to understand the equity of pay distribution. And if we off, let's get correct before somebody makes us get correct. I mean, that's what I so, see in this. A lot of these third party intermediaries that we speak about are relying a lot on automated um on automated um vetting when it comes to job applications and things like that and in there we've seen that there's also discrimination in there you know people with um uh more exotic especially arabian last names here in the uk um are at least likely to be able to find a job through those automated systems more so than somebody with a more traditional name so even within that you know there's still it's not an end-all be-all solution in saying yeah google is just gonna get the third party to be able to do the vetting and the sorting um those third parties also need to be a little bit more scrutinized as well to ensure that their process of allocating is is fair because uh, sexism and pay gap sexism like this right is happening in the, in the tech world also uh what they call uh hindu phobia you know there's people mm. in the, the 
a tech world is full of uh, people from India and uh, Southeast Asia, right? And so you have this huge flux of people in there, and there's also dynamics that operate in there. The LinkedIn, uh, there was a, this is the first time Google got sued for this. There was another time where Google also got sued where they were saying that uh, women and Asian, women and Asians, right, were being unfairly compensated. So it's deeper than, it's, it's deeper than just Nino Brown. Word. And I appreciate you bringing those up because when there's a history of discriminatory practices, you take a, a newer allegation or even the settlement in a different light, right? Like, it's hard for Google to say, like, not us. Our track record is because it ain't spotless, right? So, yeah, I think that I think that's important context. And I appreciate you also bringing up that these third parties need to be scrutinized. Whoever's doing the vetting, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but I hope that this means, and they added attention to this and intentionality in this, means that we're getting to a place where it's becoming important. Uh, to companies, whether for the right reasons or the wrong reasons, even if it's only to protect their bottom line, it's becoming important to companies to understand uh, the ways that their practices impact different groups. And if I'm all for I'm all for bringing that to the forefront, because you're absolutely right, even if this one third party, even in this specific case, um, doesn't do an amazing job, or doesn't set the gold standard for how we can move forward. Uh, I hope that this is a stepping stone for us to continue to work toward that toward that place to where it's not even a conversation, right? Where it's like, hey, we have things in place that are thinking about what it means to be a woman, what it means to be a person of color, what it means to be uh, LGBTQ, right? In these spaces. Um, and there are structures in place not to disadvantage these people, but to make sure that everybody is treated is treated fairly. That's why I encourage open conversation when it comes to salary and and payment. You know, it is taboo and it is sensitive. I've been I've been burned with trying to be very open and honest about mine in the past before. So I understand how sensitive it can be. But the the collective bargaining power we have when we understand um, the differences. Is, is large, right? It's, it's quite large. And so in this particular instance, uh, Kelly Ellis, who was a preschool teacher in Google um, Google Kindergarten, um, was making $18,000 a year and a male counterpart was making $21,000 a year. An open conversation about that um, early, from the early onset would be to be like, Ayo, what's everybody making? Just so that if whoever's up here, we can all get up there together. But this, you know, it's... Um, that it's been brought into our culture to be very secretive about it. And I think that's just propaganda, if you ask me. But money's Word. a sensitive thing to talk about. Money's it, a very, very sensitive is. thing to talk about. It is. But I think I think additional or in like increased transparency would do us all a lot of good. And yeah, we would have to confront our egos in a lot of ways if we made that choice, right? But I think exactly what you're talking about from salaries and understanding who's getting paid what and why and is it fair but even to like as we try and navigate this world as we try and navigate like i'm thinking especially of young people trying to figure out get a foothold in society figure out who they are figure out what it means to walk in a professional path and create a career uh or just to support a family we don't talk enough about what it takes 
We don't talk enough about the challenges. We don't talk enough about, like, we're not open enough. Uh, everybody's walking around acting like everything's all good and dealing with, you know, whatever issues and challenges they're facing on the inside. And I feel that it's sensitive. I feel what you're saying about putting yourself out there and, and, and getting burned. But I think that transparency would do us good if we can find a way to start having these conversations about the things that make us uncomfortable. I think we'll find that in a lot of ways we're not alone and, and that would benefit us greatly um, on the collective bargaining side, on the organizing side and on the just the healing human side, bro. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there's a whole lot of app, apps and services that allow people to have inputs on what their salary is. Glassdoor kind of allows for that to a certain extent. I would like to see it be a bit more transparent. Um, you know, Glassdoor, I feel like there's a lot of room for uh, tampering on that on that platform. But there are, you know, Reddit pages or whatever. And like we always say, man, if the community to be able to do something like that is not there, then you make that community, you know, make it an anonymous thing. But I'm going to tell you now, (laughs) I'm going to tell you now, it's not a popular conversation. It's not something. Yo, Mike check, Mike Chiggity. They tried to cancel my brother for for collective bargaining, but we out here, freeze away. And it happens that quick. It happens, right? (laughs) It happens just that quick. Happens just that quick. They try to get us out of here, man. Nah, man. We glad you're back in tune with us. But I appreciate you, man, because, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Speaking truth to power. Hey, man, listen, we do this show every single week. We do the show every single week. And every single week, the numbers keep saying the same exact thing. And so me and Miles got to listen to what people are saying and give these people exactly what it is that they want, man. Wreck and review. All right, we back. Nah, but like for real now. I have a listeners know <laughs> that we try to put this thing together for y'all every week. And you know, sometimes we stumble, especially when we don't have our producer in the building, right? Like we need him, Hassan, holding us down, right? <laughs> My man, for real this time, that damn Michael Shea, the review. <laughs> So when you put me on to this, man, what was your thinking behind this? Man, like, it's always such a pleasure when you get to have a show or some content that you're like, I know my homies are going to enjoy this. I can't wait for my people to be able to watch this stuff. And so that damn Michael Shea was that for me. It's been a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant time for black television, man. And we've been covering it. I'm so glad that we're so close to that scene because I think it's some of the flyest content that's coming out. And I think that Dan Michael Shea is definitely one of them, right? Michael Shea, who is a head writer for Saturday Night Live. Um, This is his HBO show, six episodes, 20 minutes an episode. Um, And man, it's 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 such a refreshing show. And you would think that after... Getting things like um, all these TV shows that we've seen, everything that's coming out. We had Atlanta coming this year. We had um, we had uh, the bus down coming this year. You know, we there's a lot. There's been a lot of uh, television, the Gerard Carmichael show, but still, 
it's such a refreshing take to be able to hear about the content that these guys are doing. And this is one of those shows, man. I really enjoyed it a lot. I didn't like it. Damn. No, I'm playing. <laughs> <laughs> nah, there you have it, folks. One star. <laughs> nah, it, was it was really good. It was really good. And that was a beautiful introduction that you gave it. Um, I actually d- appreciated the fact that I uh, I got to run back some of his comedy specials uh, in advance of checking out the show because what struck me about some of his specials was that he has this way of touching on all the topics that a lot of other comedians touch on, but keeping funny at the heart of it. And uh, no pun on on, on Kevin Hart or, or or any of our other the comedians that we look up to or have spoken about on this show, but. Uh, it's. I think that's really needed right now, right? In a weird way, like it's weird to say that comedy needs somebody who's about being funny. But I think a lot of comedy has turned to being about applause. A lot of comedy has turned to social commentary and and people getting their their philosophical ideas off. And if you're good at that, I'm tuned in. But I also think that this the type of comedy that focuses on being funny, um, bringing people joy, I think is is an important measure of balance that's brought to that. And he does that with his stand-up. And I think he really does that with his show. Um, I was impressed by, you know, this isn't the first show. Like, comedians get shows all the time, right? That happens all the time. There's some of this, some of the most popular, like, that's one of the most often shows that pop up. It'd be true crime or, or like, CSI type stuff. And it'd be, the, this comedian got a show. And so I, it, it's, I didn't know what to expect when I went into this, but the way that he uses bits um, and the way that he uses different ideas and chops them up to be running jokes or to only, he like, he doesn't over, none of his jokes, none of his themes outstay their welcome. And I think that's a really dope thing to be able to do as a comedian. So I did mess with it. It's interesting to see his influences because obviously he is head writer of Saturday Night Live. So he's constantly uh, um, creating different scenes, um, different scenes, you know, and setting them in, in, in these fragmented segments that do in, that do connect with each other. So uh, you can see that come out, you know, and also incorporating a bit of his stand up as well, which is said to be the writer's room. So that is them in their writer's room with just a very dope setup. And then he he speaks through certain ideas and you kind of get to see how those ideas are spoken about and then how they later transpire, which is really dope, which is some um, which is some Chappelle show. Uh, you know, there's a it feels very Chappelle show reminiscent, which is a, which is a great um, which is a, a great compliment to be able to get because that's such a, a standout show. What I love most bro is that you're seeing a lot of black comedians work with each other you know you're seeing sam jay on there you're seeing godfrey on there um even method man being on there you know that was i I like the fact that we can have this universe of creators that are working together and they and they're working with each other and i think that's why it's such a a dope dope scene you know you're seeing sam jay bring in zach uh uh, zach fox i believe in on, on all those gents going into the bus down and then see her appear here and then, you know, that's, I think that's really, really cool. Um, the scene with, <laughs> uh, the, the scene where they they draw the dude with the Goku hair dead and an air-painted mural, that was hilarious. Absolutely hilarious. 
there are a lot of moments like that in the show where you can tell that uh, Michael Shea and his writer's room kind of have free reign, or at, at least there's nobody like telling them no to certain things that they want to do. Um, and, and I appreciate that. That comes through, right? There's a lot of shows on TV, even some really like, yeah, prominent black ones that you can feel the network's hand on it and the limitations that the show has. And this show shows that it doesn't have a lot of those same limitations without being super raunchy, without trying to, you know, go for shock value, but just really showing like a perspective um, that is that that makes a lot of even difficult topics digestible. The first episode starts off and is all about policing, right? It basically starts off with a with a um, what's it called? Not a not a pseudo, but a uh, parody of a police like a commercial for police, right? And the way that he approaches that topic is just is super dope. And I, and then you could, there's a lot of shows that wouldn't be able to do that or wouldn't get the green light to do that. So I'm glad he has the freedom creatively uh, to express himself and, and make stuff that's really, really relatable to me. Um, yeah. Check it out. I recommend it. Do we rate TV I shows? We definitely have to rank TV shows, man. And I think, you know, running at 20 minutes, definitely one would like, uh, definitely one would like, longer episodes of this you know especially episodes like uh, Dudley gets shot you know and talked about how some folks are more afraid of they're they're more willing to risk their life by not calling the ambulance and black hospitals and uh saying look man I'd rather take a lift because that ambulance fee is way too high you know that's perfect social commentary on just exactly the madness of what all these things we've been talking about in the u.s is you know um so super super funny man like you say keeping keeping funny at the heart of it keeping funny at the heart of it is so so funny i wish these episodes were longer but that's just because i enjoy it a whole lot um definitely stand out stand out stand out man i think uh i'll be i'm looking very i'm very excited to see what the next offering from this show looks like yeah, it's two seasons on Netflix now, so run through them, sprint through them. Um, it's two seasons? It's, yeah, son. You oh, welcome. So you welcome, cuz. Enjoy that. that. Enjoy that. Look at that. Yeah, I mess with it. Uh, I mean, just to just to put it in context, let me throw some 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 tough questions at you. Uh, this or the bus down? This. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, More relatable. This or the most recent season of Atlanta? This. Woo! What do you say? I say I is we going back to that Kendrick conversation. I enjoy this more. It's an easier watch. I'm. I will probably throw this on more readily than I will throw on the bus down or Atlanta. But I do. I would say I would I might I could might could put it over to bust down maybe a little bit. It's really clever. It has made me laugh out loud a lot. But when it comes to Atlanta, I think Atlanta is a little bit it's in a different lane artistically. Um yeah. and I mess with it for that. But I that's a that's a serious cosign, man. And 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 I ain't I ain't knocking it. I stand I stand with you. This is a this a fire show. I recommend it to all y'all out there that need something to watch while y'all eat mm-hmm. something delicious and hug somebody you love. Hey man, listen. If I had to give it a score, I give it a five out of five, man. This is uh, 
this to me is a bullseye shot, man. Creatively, it's great. I love how it's shot. Um, you have uh, you have some Saturday Night Live execs that are also co-producing the show, man. That's why it's of tip-top quality. I really dig it, man. I, I really, really do. Five out of five for the boy. Yeah, that makes sense, actually, that Saturday Night Live uh, is involved because it's clean. It is clean. The lighting, clean. the cuts, the editing, clean. Very clean. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I appreciate you bringing that to the people, bringing this to the people. What else you got for the people, man? I know we had some some music had uh, had dropped it this week. We want to give them anything that you're listening to, anything that you're rocking with, or and maybe even a preview of what we might be checking out next week and beyond. You know, we in our in our writers' room, man, we've been bumping that Westside boogie. Um, that's been that's been holding us down and preparing the show. That's what I'm listening to, man. I'm stuck on Westside boogie. Uncle Jam's ball about uh, R&B. You know, just uh, keeping it. That's Sabrina Claudio. That's Sabrina Claudio. I'm telling you. Mm. Mm. Got you. Yeah, I've been uh, I've been swimming through some uh, Shayla, Shaylia. Man, there's a lot mm. there. There's a lot there. Uh, and what's that track that I sent you, man? Is it Noso Amon, the one that you already was up on? Numso Foreigner. Yes, man. Yes, yes, yes. That's a mm, that's chef's kiss. Y'all go ahead and enjoy that, man. Um, we appreciate y'all. We appreciate y'all joining us for this show. Um, yes, sir. We do it because we know. We know. Shout out to our producer holding us down. Yes, sir. We know that uh, y'all could be doing anything. Y'all are doing a lot. So whether you're moving around, driving around, walking around, studying, chilling, working, uh, or just tuning in and, and, and checking us out, we appreciate you for rocking with us. Thank you for joining us in this celebration of celebrating, the celebration of life, the celebration of how good it feels to be black on Juneteenth. Don't it feel good? Hey, it's my favorite thing, man. Yes, sir. So we are, yeah, man, commemorating uh, Juneteenth. We are wishing all the dads out there a happy Father's Day. Shout out to my dad. Shout out to Gramps. Uh, I'm just, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sending the positive vibes to, to all the caregivers out there in the world. Uh, and like that, you already know, it's peace, it's water, we gone. Yeah, 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 I get that, I get that, but is we live, though?